Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. Join me there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to take a look at the second half of chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. We looked at the first half last week. Now we're going to look at the second half. Uh, again, it's 1 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. I'll give you a second there to find it, and then we're going to read it together. And he says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overwhelmed, overflowed me for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full attempt, acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, that in me as to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wedge the good warfare, holding faith and good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenius and Alexander, who have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you, Father, for, for this day you've given us, Father. Thank you for this word. Father, I pray that anything that's spoken today, Lord, be uh, your words, Father, not mine. That, Father, that you may change your hearts with your words and not my words, so it can be a permanent change, Lord. Father, allow us to understand and be able to live out what it is you've called us to live. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look more into this letter, you're going to notice one issue uh, some of these false teachers were teaching, and is that of legalism. And legalism is not that there was laws and rules that they had to follow. The legalism is when you set those laws and rules as a standard by which you are saved. But Paul wants to make sure he points Timothy to the standard by which the church should live by, which is the complete opposite of what some of those false teachers were actually teaching. You see, these false teachers that were teaching these false doctrines and these myths and all these genealogies were 
were very much like the Pharisees in the sense that they were teaching that they needed to be what God required in order that they are be set okay in front of God. So therefore, they were teaching that you must be something or you must do something. And if you do that, then that means that you can be saved uh, and be in accordance to how God wants you to be. For them, it was almost like it was an outward demonstration when it should have been about the inward obedience. This can be illustrated by uh, looking at two eggs. One is a normal raw egg that was placed, that when it's placed in your palm, in your hand, in your palm, and you pressed inwardly, it will not break because of the structure of the egg itself. You can actually look it up. I'm not, this is not made up. I'll make sure I research that was true. YouTube videos of how if you have an egg that's full inside, if you place it in your palm and you squeeze it evenly, it won't break. But the second egg is exactly the same egg on the outside, but on the inside, everything has been removed. And when you place this egg in your palm and you apply the same amount of pressure, it breaks. And it breaks because of how weak the internal of this egg was. There was nothing inside. And if we come to the same point of understanding as the Pharisees, we too will break under pressure because the outside may look like it's fine, but on the inside we are hollow and empty. So then because of this condition and these issues and maybe possible some outcomes of what could happen if we take on this view, if the church takes on this view, Paul now makes sure they understand that they need to take the focus off of the works and the laws for salvation and set it back onto Christ. So what Paul's going to do, he's going to use his personal testimony as a contrast to the false teachers and leaders in that church. And you know, we, we've seen this many other times where Paul uses himself as the example of what it is that they shouldn't be doing and what they should be doing and how everything should be working. So you look at verse 12, and he starts by, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. We see with Paul... Even as he begins his testimony, what is he doing? He is pointing to Christ. Even in the beginning of, uh, of this whole letter, right? Verse 1, what does Paul say? Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He says, I am an apostle of Christ. Not of me, not of made up by anybody else, but of Christ. By command of God our Savior. Again, I am here by command of God. So he points to Christ. And now in verse 12 he says, I thank Christ our Lord because He gave me strength. He judged me faithfully. He appointed me for service. Again, back onto Christ. So anything that we can use in Paul's life as an example is because Christ himself was the one to lead Paul and did what he needed to do with Paul. 
Paul did nothing and would do nothing on his own. As a matter of fact, because of Christ, Paul's ministry was the reason why Paul's ministry was very powerful. If you know, Paul didn't gain anything here earthly. He didn't gain any riches. He was rich before he came to Christ. But as he was in Christ, he, he was not any more richer. He was not any more powerful. He didn't gain any of that from being in Christ, from following his ministry. He got the opposite, right? He got beating, he got arrested, ultimately getting killed. But the influence in what we know today mostly comes from his life. The New Testament, the majority is written by Paul. And that fact that we know that he's influencing what we believe and how we understand Christ is not from him, it's from Christ himself. None of those things that anything could have been written or, or, or seen or read meant anything if it wasn't because of Jesus. Jesus was the giver of power and of strength. And because it was backed by Jesus, his ministry, through his ministry, a lot of people came to know Christ. We can't forget that even the growth of his ministry was due to the fact that God considered him faithful. It wasn't because of who he was or what he was capable of doing or what he already proved to be. It was because before anything, God first considered him faithful. God first decided to save Paul. Because of what was done by God in Paul's life was the reason why Paul was able to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Not himself, but the work of Christ was what convinced Paul that Jesus was the Messiah and the author of salvation. So Paul gives thanks because of who he was as the result of Christ's work in his life. It wasn't because he kept the law perfectly. It wasn't because he was circumcised. It wasn't because he had a passion. Because even his passion came from Christ. It wasn't because who he was. Because it was because of who Christ was. And of course is. And actually if you look. He was the complete opposite of what many of these false prophets were teaching. Look at verse 13. 13. Though formerly I was a blasphemer a persecutor, an, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord over, overflowed for me with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Paul describes himself as a blasphemy, a prosecutor, and a violent man. That's who he describes himself as. That's a lot different from what we're told today many times in the pulpit, right? Where we say, well, no, you are worthy, you are powerful, you, you are the best. You just need to unlock it. And by coming into Christ, you unlock that awesomeness that you are. Paul is saying, I am not awesome. I was never awesome. I was the complete opposite. 
first time we meet Paul was when Stephen was being stoned to death. And he approved and allowed it. He was all for it. Kill this Christian. Not too long after that, he was dragging believers out of their homes and putting them into prison. This is who was Paul. There was nothing awesome about that. He wasn't worthy. He wasn't a good man. He was against God. So let's see how many pastors will tell you how bad you really are. Because Paul was bad. It's the baddest of the baddest. But yet, he was shown mercy. Paul had no doubt that his salvation came because of the grace of God. Not only that, he knows he received an abundance of faith and love because of mercy, because of God's mercy. And Paul goes on to expand and explain the gospel. But first he says, the saying, in verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Paul makes a declaration of, about what he's about to say. He said, I'm going to say something, but before I say it, you need to understand that what I'm about to say is trustworthy. This is something that is beyond debate. When Paul says trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, it's like when Jesus would say, I tell you. He would say, hey, this is better pay attention because this is very important. What he's about to say, the truth of the words are beyond confirmation. Nothing can change it and it holds its weight in all eternity. And the truth that he says is the rest of verse 15. That Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Of whom I am foremost. That is what we need to look and see and say, well, this is it. This is the point. This is everything. That is the point of the incarnation of Jesus. And that is the reason behind what Jesus did. Even before Jesus was born. That was the will and that was God's plan. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus. Wasn't created yet. He wasn't out yet. You're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Before Jesus was here. Before Jesus was born. That was already the plan. Before even creation. The main purpose wasn't to show his power or to show his face to prove that God was real. Creation is the evidence of God's power and, and his existence. That already was enough to prove who God is and how powerful he is. That wasn't the main reason why Jesus came into this world. He came to this world for the primary purpose to die and resurrect for sinners. So that sinners can be saved. 
And Paul was a great example of how far grace and mercy extends. Remember, Paul considered himself the biggest sinner of all. If there was a scale of sinners, Paul would outweigh everyone. Paul was legalistic. He was religious. He was a blasphemy, a blasphemer, a blasphemer. Sorry, among many of other things. He even knew and followed the law better than anyone there. Remember, he was the Hebrews of Hebrews. If you wanted to go, he was he was it. If you wanted to be like somebody, you wanted to be like Paul. But then Paul, but even then Paul knew that all his efforts meant nothing because his heart and his mind and his motives were all selfish. He knew he couldn't satisfy God and he needed grace. And even a wretched man like him will receive this grace and mercy. Look at verse 16. But I received mercy from, for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. But even then, he pointed his salvation as the means by which Christ would display his perfect patience so he can be an example to others who are going to believe in him. So even then, as Paul is saved in his ministry, he's saying, and even this is not for me. This is for God to, to show you how much he loves people. Paul was an example of how those who truly believe can have eternal life. And he will become a pattern to those who were going to believe in Jesus. And Paul understood this better than those who were trying to teach and all those false doctrines. This is why he was able to praise God even in the midst of everything that he would go through. Look at verse 17. To the king of ages, immoral, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Incredible. Paul couldn't even think of how bad he was and how great the salvation of God was and how great the love of God was without simply breaking into spontaneous praises. He couldn't go one second without praising God for who he was. He knew God to be the king eternal, ruling and reigning in complete power and glory. He knew God to be moral, existing before anything else existed. And being the creator of all things. He knew God to be invisible. Not completely unknowable by us. He knew God alone was wise. That he is God and we are not. He knew that only because of who God is. That he can even stand there and say what he said. And to that, glory and honor be to God forever and ever. Now this same God that Paul continuously points to 
for everything, also called Timothy. Look at verse 18. This charge I entrust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have even some have made shipwreck of their faith. This charge, this charge that Paul gave Timothy that we saw in verses 3 and 4 to rebuke and command these false teachers, this wasn't something that was easy to do. This is, this is a very difficult task to call him out. And you're about to see some of the things he calls him out on. It's not very easy to do. These are tasks that not many will, will like to take on because some of those things will, will bring to light a lot of things that people reject initially. That we don't want to hear. We don't want to talk about it. But this is the task that, called, that God called Timothy for. Some scholars say that when Paul refers to according to the prophecies made in regards to Timothy, he is referring to some of someone having a specific prophetic revelation about Timothy in regards to this specific task. Like if someone prophesies and says, Timothy is going to take on this role in Ephesus. There's others to say that uh, the word here, what he's talking about is, is, is a word of God from God that expressed the kind of person, person Timothy was, the type of person he was going to be, and the fact that he had been enabled by God to take on this role as important as it is. It could have been either one. It could have been something prophetic or, or it's just a word of God. Whatever Paul meant by that, ultimately it was the will of God for Timothy to confront this situation. That was the purpose and the will of God for Timothy to be there and do what he was called to do. And since there's no coincidence, right? We don't believe in coincidence. We believe that this is what God will it to be. God's going to give the tools, for, tools to Timothy in order that he does what he needs to be able to do. That's why Paul encourages him to continue to fight the good fight. No matter how difficult it's going to be. Because it was going to be difficult for Timothy. Good look, Timothy. He's got a pretty good beating. <laughs> it wasn't going to be easy for him. Not easy for many to say what needs to be said. But he needs to be encouraged. But in the process of him taking on this responsibility and taking on this task, he needs to hold on to faith and good conscience and not stray away from the truth. Now the same goes for church, for the church, for those who are in the church. We can't forget the truth, and the truth is that Jesus came to save the sinners. So we have to look at that in two ways. First, is that you can be saved. But you have to be at that point that you can recognize 
that you are a sinner. And many people refuse to accept that. Many people refuse to believe that they are bad. But Romans 3.23 is very clear. We have all sinned and fallen short. It didn't say some. It didn't say a few. It didn't just say Americans. He said all have sinned and fallen short. We all need to come to that conclusion. That we are the biggest of all sinners. You may not be as big as a sinner as, as Paul was. You didn't go around killing Christians. But you are a sinner nevertheless. You have sinned against God. But also recognize that if Paul received grace, that means that you're not too far out to be saved either. If Paul, which was considered the sinner of all sinners, was saved, so can you. A few years ago, a TV commercial showed a car in which a jeweler in the back seat made a precise cut in a diamond as the car was being driven along through a rough, rough road. What was our reaction to that commercial? We we're supposed to think, since I would never need to cut a diamond in my car, this would be enough for me. If I did... Okay, that's good. But if a person who needed a cut a diamond was able to be in this car, I too can be in that car. In that same way, Paul in these passages is the advertisement for God's grace. When Paul says he's the worst of sinners, we're supposed to think if that grace was enough for Paul, it's enough for us. Paul's not saying compare yourself and think that you're better or worse and be like, well, I'm better, I'm less of a sinner, so therefore, that's not what he's saying. What he means is that if Paul was chosen and given mercy and grace, no one can say, I am too bad of a sinner to be forgiven. Many times I've heard that we say, no, I'm way too far off already. You're never too far off to be forgiven. Spurgeon says, The sparrow's head is cut off and stuck on a phone on a pole by the salvation of the sheaf of sinners. No man can now say that he is too greater, too great a sinner to be saved, because the chief of sinners was saved 1,800 years ago. If the ringleader, the chief of the gang, has been washed in the precious blood and is now in heaven, why not I? Why not you? See, the grace of God can save you too. Without you doing anything because there's nothing that we can do. It's a free gift. 
that was bought by Christ on the cross. You just got to receive it. You just got to believe that that's what he did. But not just any belief. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And they shudder. We're not talking about intellectual belief. We're talking about it's a personal trust in the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection. Which that's going to lead to a life of sanctification, obedience, dependency, and trust. This is a belief that changes your life. And through this new life that you have, Jesus will display his character and his attribute. He's going to display his goodness, his mercy, and his patience. Because God wants others to see what he's capable of doing. He wants to use your change to show others what he's capable of doing. And this is not for you to be glorified. It's for him. He be glorified in you. Now the second way we have to look at this is that other people can be saved. And you're probably saying, hey, isn't this the same as your first point? Right? If I can be saved means everyone can be saved. Well, you got to hear me out, okay? Sometimes we humans, right, I include myself in that, like to set standards on who can be saved. And here's what I mean. It's an interesting thing happened one day at a, in a church where the great American businessman Samuel Colgate was a member. Yeah, this is that Colgate, you know, toothbrush. During, the, the, during an evangelistic campaign, a prostitute came forward and confessed her sins. She was brokenhearted and wept openly. She asked God to save her soul and expressed a desire to join the church. She said, I'm, I'll gladly sit in some back corner. The preacher hesitated to call for a motion to accept her into membership. And for a few moments, the silence was oppressive. Finally, a member stood up and suggested the actions on her request be postponed. At that point, Mr. Colgate arose and said with an undertone of sarcasm, I guess we blundered when we prayed that the Lord would save sinners. See, we forgot to specify what kind of sinners. We'd be better asked to forgive us for this oversight. The Holy Spirit has touched this woman and made her truly repentant. But apparently the Lord doesn't understand she isn't the type that we want him to rescue. Many of the audience blush with shame. They have been guilty of judging like the Pharisees in the temple who exclaim self-righteousness. And they say, God, I thank you that I am not as the other men's are. See, as time passes, it's easy to forget 
where we come from. We seem to forget how wretched of a sinner we were and how unworthy we were when Jesus saved us. So easy to forget. God saved you without you being anyone. God saved you without you doing anything. In the same way God saved you, He's going to do the same with anyone else He wants to. Understand that salvation is not reserved for those specific people who are good enough. Salvation is not just for the white Americans. Salvation is not for those who have it all together. Not just for those people. Salvation is not for those who dress a certain way or look a certain way or come from a specific sin only. No one is good enough, yet no one is beyond the scope and power of God to be saved. So that means that there is no standard set by man that determines who God will save and he and who he is not going to save. He chooses, and when he chooses and saves, he saves based on his mercy and his grace, not based on anything you have done. So that he gets glory. So it's not based on our standards. We don't set the standards of who is saved. God saves whoever he wants to save. So don't be so quick to cast out those sinners who, just because they don't look like the way you want them to look, let God deal with their looks in his time because he's going to. If he's doing something or she's doing something or dressed a way or looks a certain way that God doesn't get glorified with it, he's going to deal with that on his own time. Because that is part of growing spiritually. He's going to. Don't get me wrong. But we are called to deliver the message, not choose who gets saved or not. And with that, I want to finish with this. You that are in Christ, you have been called, called by God Himself. The ministries may look different amongst each other, right? Our, our calling may look different. The, the gifts that we have been given may look different. But what you have been given is not something you have created and developed yourself. What you have, what you've been called for, it was given by God Himself. And since God makes no mistakes, He will bring to pass whatever is needed for His work in your life to take fold. Whatever it is that God needs to do in your life, He's going to bring. If it's pain, that's what He's going to bring. 
If it's trouble, that's what he's going to bring. If it's trials, that's what he's going to bring. He's going to bring whatever it takes for the will in your life to be accomplished. His will, not yours, his. And he's going to bring whatever tools you need for your ministry, whatever tools, whatever uh, money, whatever anything that's needed for his will in your ministry to come to pass, he's going to bring it. But understand this. Once you are in Christ, we are called to faithfulness in the fight of the faith. You must know the truth and you must hold on to the truth. Satan deals in deception and shipwreck comes to those people who throw away their moral and spiritual compass. So you must live in and you must live by the truth. And this is Christ-centered first, pointing everything to Christ, including your life. Living a life according to God's will. Not a perfect life, but a life that is centered on Christ. So we must maintain what you believe, and we must act on what we believe. And we must be encouraged to fight the good fight. Because one day we will stand in front of Christ and He will say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. One day we're going to stand in front of God. We're going to have to give an account for what he given us and what we did with that. And that's what I want to hear. I want to hear well done. And that's what I would like for you to want to hear as well. That God said well done with what you did with what I called you for. Church, pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for, for your word, Father. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you because you sent Christ, Jesus, into this world. That everyone in this world who believes in you may be saved. Father, thank you because this extends to every region Every, t every type of people, every nation, every continent, every island, everything. So, Father, I pray that those people in this whole world may come to you and believe in you. Father, thank you because we are the biggest of all sinners. And in the midst of our sin, Father, you still forgive us. You chose out of your mercy and your goodness to save us. Now that we have been saved, Father, I pray that you use us to point right back to you. That our lives be a reflection of who you are and what you've done. 
and that way our lives, that way you use our lives as the means to bring others to you. Father, thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening. And remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Holy City Church.